Well, have a seat. It's, uh, it's beautiful to be here. It's beautiful to have such a great time of worship. Thank you for the music team and the sound team that uh, make that such a, a blessed time. And uh, so much of what was being declared this morning was that sovereignty and the, the authority of Jesus Christ, the blessedness of His name, the power of His name. And uh, although you're, uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, as I watched the news on Friday about markets crashing and um, seeing stocks plummet for what hasn't been seen for about 30 years and with the coronavirus, and uh, you may have forgotten that uh, this year kicked off you know, just before Christmas with a series of fires across Australia that in the history of our records have never been seen, really. Um, there's probably a few times they can count that have come to the same measure of disaster and catastrophe that the fires wrought. And then on the back of that, we had floods all across New South Wales and Queensland. Um, it seems like there's a bit of shaking going on. <laughs> and it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get distracted. You know, it's, it's funny when you read the... It's not funny. It's interesting when you see the way Paul, the apostle, from the time that he came to know the Lord, went about his life, it seems that he went through all sorts of trials and tribulations. In the book of Acts, the second half is really um, revolves around his story and his faith. And, and this guy gets persecuted. He gets stoned. There's a, there's a story where he actually gets stoned and it looks as though he's dead because the people gather around him. Next thing you know, he's walking some miles to another city. I mean, can you imagine being stoned and getting up and walking miles to get to another city. Now, my guess is that he was either dead or unconscious or something, but those people gathered around and prayed and then raised him up again through their prayers of faith. And then he goes on and he suffers all these kinds of things. He's imprisoned, he's locked up. And at some point, he ends up on a ship. And that ship gets shipwrecked. But even in the storms, he's not deterred by it. And they end up losing the ship and he tells them what to do. And they end up on this island. So they get shipwrecked. He's on this people. He's saved all the crew. And then they end up meeting this tribe. And uh, this tribe want to kill them, uh, as far as I remember the story. But then he's sitting around a fire and this viper comes out and bites him on the hand. And at that point, Paul probably looked at him and just went like this and carried on talking. <laughs> Which is why I think in Ma Mark you see that we'll be bitten by vipers and it will not kill you. Uh, it's a remarkable thing that he got to a point in his faith where he was so confident in the authority that he walked in and who, what Jesus had called him to do that nothing could get in the way of his mission and the faith he had in Christ to fulfill the work that had been set before him to do. Nothing. This man is an astonishing man and most of the New Testament letters that we read are written by his pen, by his hand. And yet, he wasn't all about mission in the, in the primary sense, even though he gave his life to that. He wasn't dedicated to the cause of Christ. He says in Philippians, in one of his letters, he gets to this point, he says, my determined purpose is. Now, that's out of the Amplified Version, so this is where I first read it. But I found it striking that his, this was his determined purpose, and my ears pricked up. And it says, my determined purpose is that I may know him. He's talking about Jesus. That I may know the wonders of his person. That I may become more intimately acquainted with his ways. 
that if I impossible that I might partake in the sufferings of Christ, that I may also attain the resurrection life. This Paul who was dedicated to mission, yet his determined purpose was to know the one who met him on the road to Damascus. And you know what the first thing that came out of Paul's mouth was? Lord, who are you? Lord, who are you? It's the same question the disciples were asking themselves were in the boat. There's a storm going on on the Sea of Galilee. It's nighttime. These seasoned fishermen are terrified. They're looking at Jesus, who's decided it's a good time to have a nap. <laughs> what better time to have a nap than be on a journey in a boat that's about to go down and under and you're about to drown? There is this in the stern, having a nap, and they shake him up, and they're so afraid, they said, don't you even care? <laughs> he gets up, he calms the sea with the word of his command, and he looks at them, and he says, where is your faith? I don't think it was like, where's your faith? I actually think he got up like he was looking at children and going, where's your faith? And the disciples, wide-eyed and shocked and awe, are going, who are you? It's easy to forget the Lord that we worship, the one we profess. And yet when it comes to times like this, where seasons of shaking come, you really should rejoice. The same guy said, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because... Whenever something gets shaken in your life, you quickly find out where your foundation is and where it is not. But the opportunity for you to see the glory of the Lord is right in front of you. Have you noticed when times are easy, when things are plain sailing, everything's in order, and you're feeling pretty good about yourself and about life because you think, I've just got this thing down. And all of a sudden, you're shocked by something that hits you from left field. And the first response for most people is to respond in anxiety, fear, concern, worry. And yet, here is the Lord standing beside you saying, don't worry, I got you. Because it's not about our faith, as in, we don't even put our faith in ourselves. We put the faith in the one who calms the storms. We don't put our faith in our faithfulness. We put in the one who says he is faithful to us. And from the beginning of time, the Lord has created us out of love to desire a people that would know him and would call him their God. And he would have to hit for his possession a people for himself. Now, this didn't work out in the Garden of Eden. But you'll notice as soon as he sends Moses to bring the people out of Egypt, he says this to Moses. They're at the Mount Sinai. This is in Exodus 19. And he says, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among my pe all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be a treasured possession among all peoples. My treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. 
I'm not talking about the Gospel of Mark this morning because on Friday, I just felt like the Lord saying, I think you just need to steady the ship. To set your eyes on the goal. To remember who you are and what you're called to do. And the Lord has called you to be a holy people chosen unto himself. His treasured possession. A treasured, someone who takes a treasured possession looks after it. He cares for it. He doesn't let it get put out to the elements and just discarded and uncared for. He makes sure it's cared for and protected and looked after. And you think of your treasured possessions and what you do to look after them. How much more is the Lord going to take care of you? This is what he intended in the book of Exodus. You'll see this go all the way through. The Lord has not changed in his purpose. If you go all the way back to Revelation, at the end of the book, I've got more than just maps at the end of my book. It takes a bit to get there. <laughs> but right at the end where he comes to cons consummate everything and he's, we see the new heavens and the earth come down, listen to what the Lord says. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. He will be their God. This is from beginning to end, the trajectory of God's purpose and intent. And to be his people doesn't just mean that somehow you're labeled, but you become a people that represent him. A holy priesthood, a royal people, people who know who they are and who their God is. And so when they walk out from this place, whether you're, it's easy in here where you're amongst believers, but when you walk out, that you stand on this planet as a demonstration and witness to the power and glory of Jesus Christ who raised, was raised from the dead. Because the same power that has raised him from the dead is toward you and you have been raised into newness of life and he has blessed you with the Holy Spirit. Do you know I, how I know the presence of God is in this house? Because I'm here. And so are you who believe. I'm not being arrogant. I'm just stating a fact that God has put his presence in us. His presence is in you. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's the presence of God. In the Old Testament used to come upon people. And prophets were looking into the things and the times of which Jesus would come. And this this mysterious notion of a suffering servant. And then they realize they're not looking into the things and praying for and hoping for a thing that was for them, but for a future generation. You are that generation. You're that generation that the prophets of the Old Testament longed to see. A people who would be God's possession, who would have the abiding of the Holy Spirit. And it says, when you love me, Jesus says to, to his disciples, he's saying, if you love me, and you keep my commandments, then I will come and make a home in you. Imagine that, the Lord God of the universe coming and making his home in you. And he says it again, but he says it a little differently. He says, he who obeys my command, you know, keep, keeps my word and loves me. He who keeps my word, it is he who loves me. And my father and I will come and make our home in him. You were designed to be the temple of the living God.
And when you consider that He is light, that there is no turning His shadow in the Lord, that there is no darkness at all in Him, when you know that you stand in the unapproachable light of the Lord, that that light is in you, what can darkness possibly do to you? What can fear possibly do to your life? We were singing it before, break every chain, break every chain. You know, fear is a chain. But there's power in the name of Jesus to break that chain. Disease is a chain. But there is power in the name of Jesus to break that chain. There is anxiety as a chain. It binds people. It locks them up. That's what a chain does. It stops them from living. It cripples. It, it holds them down. And yet there is power in the name of Jesus to break that chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. And the Lord is looking for people who will stand up in the confidence of the Lord and know that there is power in the name of Jesus and will testify to His greatness that the people out in this world will see that it is not a lost hope. There is no hope in the financial systems of this world. There is no hope in the medical systems of this world. Even though we are so blessed to live in a country that surpasses all other countries in terms of their medical health system. We are so blessed. The problems that we don't have because of such a blessed nation. And yet still, there is no hope in the medical fraternity to save the fate of the human soul. Because everyone knows that one day we will die. And all fear is, is telling you, reminding you that you are a mortal being. This flesh, that it's got a time limit. And it seems to me that one of the taboos in our society is talking about death. We would rather talk about eternal life, we, uh, the eternal youth. And it's manifested in all sorts of weird ways, like the discarding of the elderly as the, the core of our wisdom of our society has just been put to the side. The exaltation of the youth to the point where we're looking to 16-year-olds to save the problems of our climate and to change a nation. Yes, we should be laughing and crying at the same time. That we might put our hopes, and forgive me if you're 16, but put our hopes in a child. What has happened to a world that has lost its way? And where is the church? Well, I can tell you that the church is alive and well. The church has not perished. God has not stopped his project. It is the Lord who builds his church. And if you confess Jesus as Lord, that he has not forgotten you. In fact, he has ordained you for such a time as this. And that sounds like a cliche. But often cliches become that because it is a reality that you were appointed for a time and a season. And the Lord has not been unawares of the season that you're being put in. He's not unaware of the day and time in which you live. He's not ashamed of the youth. It's so good to see you. <laughs> it's so good to see a youth that are passionate. Do not despise your youth. Tim, such faith. Such a faithful man. I look at you and I just see the roar of a lion. You see that coronavirus and you go, rah, like, and it just jumps away. Go find someone else because you're not coming into my house. <laughs> you're a faithful man. You're a godly man. 
and the Lord loves you for it. And you will lead the youth. Because the Lord is upon you to do that. It is a call and it's a task and it's a privilege. And there's no other greater privilege that you will find in your life. But keep your eyes fixed firmly on the prize. Like all of us. Like Colossians says, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. I wonder what you've been feeding on this week. You know, Matthew, uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about building your house. How many of you know this? On a rock. He puts before you two people, two types. One that builds their house on a rock and one that builds their house on sand. Now, I'm sure you all know it. My question is, How's your construction going? And what I love about trials, and I'm being genuine about this, I, I don't love the whole thing of a trial. <laughs> uh, we're having a few of our own in our family. But when I get shaken, it's like all the rubble gets cleared and I find where the rock is. And it's the Lord's way of His grace of showing me, hey, why don't we just <laughs> work on this little area here? Why don't we just show you where you're not established? Because I need you to be firm. I need you to be steadfast. I need you to be sure of who I am. So that you can walk in this season and not just walk with stability and peace and a sense of joy. Not persuaded by the things of this world. But I need you to do that, to be a light to other people. Because people are looking for a safe place to go. They're looking for a haven. They're desperate for some kind of security. And yet they're never going to find it in the things of this world. They're never going to find it in their religious practices. They're never going to find it bowing down and giving gifts all sorts of gods and idols. You go to Bali, for example, you see people putting out incense and rice and all sorts of different things, all these practices to appease gods for whatever reason. And yet we stand with the witness and the testimony of the one true God who created all and says, that, what are you doing? <laughs> what are these idols that are dumb, mute, blind, deaf? Can they speak? Can they hear? Can they listen? Can they do anything? These things that you've crafted of wood and stone. This wood, the very thing that you use to heat and make fire with. And then you take a portion of it and you carve something out and you bow down to it. What are you doing? We don't do that. No, no. We have bank accounts. We watch the numbers. We have other things that we put our hopes in. But the Lord has appointed you to be a people unto himself. You know, Second Peter talks about this. Sorry, first Peter. 
chapter 2, verse 9, says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of, for his own possession, that you may proclaim... Okay, so just stop there for a second. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Do you know your citizenship is not on earth? citizenship is not here on earth it's not your primary one when you were born again into the faith god made you a citizen of heaven and a citizen of heaven sits under all the privileges and the rights and the protections of that kingdom what's it like in heaven what's the reign of god like is there any disease and suffering in heaven torment Anxiety, stress, worry. These things are not the things of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Living under the reign of God. And then it says we are a royal priesthood. Well, what were priests meant to do? To minister to God, yes. To offer up praises and worship, yes. But they're also called to worship the people. To worship the people. To... Uh, to minister to people, to take the things of God and minister to them. So when they trip and fall and stumble, they could find forgiveness, be atoned for, find their peace, be reconciled with God. Well, we are that people. To serve the community, to bring the blessing of God to those who don't have it. You are a royal priesthood. Because he says, the reason this is you've been given are people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into, into his marvelous light. That you were rescued from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of his son. This is who you are. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This has echoes of Hosea, who was prophesying about the people of Israel, who had been so rebellious for centuries, but God finally called them, not my people, and no mercy. And yet, he comes and he calls those who have received him. They are my people, and those who did not receive mercy have received mercy. This is who you are. I think it's important to put your eyes again on these realities that exist, that the hope that we actually, the faith that we have, starts with the salvation of our soul. It starts with knowing that death has no sting, that has been conquered, that we actually will be raised again, but we have received eternal life. And if you don't have that settled in your heart and if you haven't confronted the fear that death can bring then you're going to find that the things that take you toward it sin because sin begets death sin takes you toward death are going to shake you and yet we have been given eternal life now it doesn't mean and i'm not being dismissing or minimizing the grief and pain that comes with the passing of lives but again paul would say to live is Christ. 
and to die is gain. This is why I started with that whole thing about Paul saying, what is his purpose? His purpose was to know him. Because he saw something that I think very few of us have actually captured, that he got to the point where he thought going home to be with the Lord was gain. He could look at death and go, yes, because I know to whom I'm going. He knew the one that had given him eternal life. He knew him so personally and intimately that there was nothing better, nothing more delightful, nothing more joyful than to either serve him on this planet or to go home. And he says, I'm not sure which one's better, to stay and serve you or to be at home with the Lord. That was his life. And he wasn't caught up in the mission. It was because he beheld the one for whom he for whom he, on whose behalf he was sent. He saw Jesus in the fullness of his glory in ways that I guess we're striving in some respects to see, praying that our eyes would be opened because as you behold him, not only do you become like him, but you find that this world just loses its flavor. You know that song, turn your eyes toward Jesus, look full in his face. And the things of this world come strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This ought to be the trajectory of our lives. Because when you behold him, the things of this world fade. You see their perishability. For our faith is not in things seen, but things unseen. They are in the imperishable, the eternal. This is our assured salvation and the things that are in heaven that cannot be shaken, that cannot be destroyed. And so you may wonder, how do you actually even get to that place? So I want to talk a little about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. In about seven years ago, uh, there's a verse in Romans chapter 14. And it's actually talking about food laws and those with weak conscience and those with like a, a strong conscience. And Paul is essentially saying, well, you're free. You're free in Christ. But those with strong conscience, you can eat anything. You can go to these feasts where they worship and give sacrifices to idols, and you can eat. The small problem with that, some people just don't do well with it, particularly the Jews. Because in Rome, there was a Jewish-Gentile mix in the community. And so some of the Jews just thought, well, eating pork, you know, this tradition has been with me for so long, I just, in good conscience, cannot do it. In fact, it would even cause some people to stumble. So Paul is saying, even if you're free, nevertheless, consider your brothers and sisters that you might not give them cause to stumble. Which is an interesting point, you know, as much as we might have a little laugh about the extraordinary sales of toilet paper these days, <laughs> and the seemingly total disconnection between the symptoms of the virus and and what actually toilet paper does. <laughs> Nevertheless, it's worthwhile to know that if you were respectful of authorities and you're respectful of, you know, other people, that in itself is honoring to God. But people will recognize that the thing that disturb others won't disturb you. 
Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. And Paul was saying that life is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about external things. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that word went into me seven years ago, and then I can tell you that my life looked anything but righteous, peaceful, and joyful in the Holy Spirit. The Word has a way of going out there, and if it gets into you, it then shakes you up, and it just exposes everything in you that it doesn't conform to that Word. But the Lord is doing a shaking for a reason, because the Word is given that it might be engrafted into your soul, so that you become the person that that Word speaks about. I think one of the fundamental problems with the Western Church has been since the enlightenment, the exaltation of the mind, and people have been educated in this, but they haven't encountered the one of whom it speaks, and it has not been engrafted in becoming a living word. And yet, since I became a Christian, the first thing that I asked the Lord, Jesus is saying, well, if you're real, you have to make this real for me, because I was clever enough at that time, well, at least I thought I was, to be able to argue any line of thought or philosophy. If this is all this is, is a philosophy then it just comes down to how good you are at argument, doesn't it? And people can argue anything, and there are some brilliant communicators. I think Christopher Hitchens, was, who recently died, one of the premier atheists of our time, was an extraordinary communicator. Very eloquent, very intelligent, skilled in rhetoric. In other words, the art of persuasion and language and, and, and argument. Very hard to argue against and because of his whimsical humorous kind of nature could just lead people in whatever direction and it made for the Christian quite difficult now if, it, if Christian faith was just a philosophy then Hitchens is one <laughs> you know what I mean You don't realize you're educated in this and you're lacking faith until something like this year happens. And then you have to ask yourself, is this word real? So over those seven years, the Lord is working in me, working in me to realize that the kingdom of God is not about my circumstances. The kingdom of God is not about making my everyday life comfortable. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, being right with God, walking in right ways. And if you don't get that first, if you don't understand that His ways are good and His ways are right, then you're not going to have peace. Because you can't be at peace in this world if you're not at peace with yourself. And you cannot be at peace with yourself unless you're at peace with God. Because everyone knows that there's something about sin that requires an accounting. That everyone must give an account for their lives one day before God. And of course, if you're not at peace, joy is pretty fleeting. <laughs> it's more like amusement or pleasure, but it's not abiding. And so over the years, the Lord was teaching me that the, the purpose of the Christian life, to be a people unto Him, is to be people who walk in the abiding state of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when things like this happen, 
You're not suddenly knocked off your horse or you don't find your life being fallen over by anxiety and stress. You actually find that your response is in peace and righteousness and joy and it becomes a natural part of who you are. Because if all this remains is an educated book, then this word becomes for nothing when the world speaks to you a louder noise. When it shouts a louder message. And if you're on Twitter and Facebook and news, you are not getting any of this. All you're getting is fear, anxiety, worry, stress, concern. This is what the world feeds you. So that comment about what are you eating, what are you feeding on is really important. Because if you're not coming to this and asking the Lord to feed you and to illuminate you about who He is, or if you're doing it for five minutes a day, and you're getting bombarded with three hours of TV and ten hours of Twitter and whatever you spend on the devices. I dare say what I would suggest to you is that perhaps you're building your house on a foundation that isn't firm. As I said, God is looking for a people, a people who will stand up, who will be established in the word, proclaim his name and you could argue there's no better time in history than right now to be doing that when the whole world with its ambition for globalization is finding themselves at the mercy of disease at the mercies of global markets this coronavirus i don't want to i'm not a medic i'm not a doctor i'm just speaking from a point of faith But from what I've read on the WHO and the health things, it's a bit like the flu. Yes, it's highly contagious. Yes, it's got unknowns. But do you know influenza last year globally took out 250,000 people? See, my brain goes, that sounds like a pandemic. No one's concerned about it. Well, what I'm saying is, We don't have this frenzy because it's familiar. There's a vaccine. And people are just accustomed to that strain of disease. But as soon as something comes new along, something unpredictable, something that just can transverse the world in a matter of days, people are rocked to their core. And I'm not trying to minimise the seriousness of the situation and I'm not trying to minimise the action that people need to take to take care of themselves and the elderly and the young. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, where have you built your house? What are you standing on? Not just for yourself, but who you're called to be. I encourage you. Take the time to get together, to pray together, to set your minds on Christ, to feed on his word, continue to establish your foundation, continue to put that word in you and ask the Lord to show you the delight and joy that he has set before you to bear witness to the only one, the only one who is Lord of all, the only one who offers a true and a sure hope, the only one who has an answer to the world's problems.
go out and have some fun. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Get into his presence, delight in him, and then know that where you go, he goes with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do stand before you and I don't take the worries and concerns of people lightly and you say to us, do not be anxious in anything, but bring our prayers and requests to God with thanksgiving and the peace of God which transcends our human understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for those right now who have been struggling with anxiety, worry or concern as they offer this up to you, Lord, and sing praises to you. May they experience your presence of peace and may you reassure them and give them faith to know that you are guarding their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Therefore, set your minds on the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are good, noble, praiseworthy, great. And let us be a witness and a testimony to the power of the resurrected Lord that you might receive the glory and the honor and praise through our lives in this time, in this place, and in this planet. Amen.